That's right. He knows the microphone. Amen. He knows his microphone. Let's take our Bibles uh, tonight. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And I do appreciate the privilege and the honor to be asked to come in to preach. And I, I'm touched, really, by the burden of this pastor uh, to encourage God's people to pray. I feel like this is something that is so neglected in our churches today. Um, and brother, I'll just give you a little background. We, we've had these at our church for a long time as well. And um, we had our men's prayer meetings. A lot of times we do it on Saturday night. Sometimes we'll do it on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Um, right now we kind of just do it as the Lord leads. We did this last week or week before. And uh, the verse my pastor, uh, Pastor Joey Wampler, he brought up in that prayer meeting uh, was over there in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not watch with me one hour? And, um, and, and, and we would read that verse and set a timer. <laughs> We're praying for an hour. And uh, sweet hour of prayer, right? It's perfectly fine to sing the song, just don't attempt it. That's how most Baptists are. That's how most folks are. I love to sing the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, but how dare you ask me to pray for an hour? Um, and, and, and honestly, if you were to talk to most folks, and I believe most folks would be honest with you if you asked them, most Christians have never actually prayed an hour. And until that night, I had never prayed for a solid hour. Um, and, and you know, when you, you, if, you, if you've done that, and I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand or nothing, but if you've ever done that, you find out that most of the praying that we do is a performance. Because after you run out of your canned speech, uh, uh, you know, that you make to God, oftentimes when we're called to pray or called to pray publicly or something like that, uh, when you run out of that in about five minutes, and you got to spend 55 minutes just with you and God with no pretense, with no performance, there's nothing else but just a holy God and a sinful man and you trying to communicate to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, all that pretense goes. Uh, and, and that's where God really began to work on me and to, and to help me to grow in my prayer life. And so I definitely encourage you to uh, ask the Lord if He'd lead you to do something like that. And you say, well, it sounds mechanical for you to set a timer and say you're going to pray for an hour. It's not half as mechanical as most of the praying we do. Amen? So it can't, near, it can't be near as mechanical as that. Um, and so if, you're gonna, if, if, if that's the complaint, I don't think that one stands up. Amen? Uh, but I appreciate this pastor's desire and heart to encourage uh, people to pray. And unless we pray, uh, we're not going to have answer to prayers. Amen? There are more people giving prayer requests than they are actual prayers. Uh, and I've had this many a time. Many folk, folk will raise their hand on a Wednesday night. Y'all take up prayer requests on Wednesday nights, brother? We used to do that a long time ago, and I, I love it. I enjoy it. But what it became was, and let's be honest, it became a game of name that body part. Uh, you know, it's my, my elbow and my knee and my sister's right toe, and it's all that. And listen, I'm, I'm perfectly for praying for physical needs. Amen. I think we should cast those cares upon the Lord. There's nothing trivial. There's nothing insignificant about it. But what I find oftentimes is that people will ask prayer for something that they've never prayed about. They have never genuinely uh, got down on their knees or bowed their heart before the Lord and, and asked God to do something for them. They would much rather ask you to pray for them than they would pray themselves. 
And, and so, and, and a lot of these thoughts and truths have been stirring in my heart about prayer. As, as some of you know, I've recently became the pastor of our church, much like, much like Brother Nick here. He, uh, he grew up in this church and then ends up pastoring this church. It's a similar situation to myself. I, I, I started attending Resurrection Baptist Church at the age of 15. And uh, the Lord, uh, I, I was just a long-haired, uh, you know, uh, living for the world. I was saved. I got saved at a young age. But when I was about 12 or 13, my parents divorced. And so I spent those early teenage years uh, running around with my friends and doing my own thing and listening to my music and doing whatever I wanted to do. Uh, and then I got in, into church. I started hearing this Word of God preached and some good expositional biblical preaching. And uh, God began to work on my heart. And ironically, it was sitting on these pews uh, that are in this uh, service tonight. I'm a little nostalgic about that. I'm sorry. You're gonna have, we're going to have to put up with that. Uh, but God did a work for my life, in my life, on these chairs, these pews that are in this church tonight. So it, it blesses my heart to see them. Amen. And to know that somebody else, they can have their lives changed. Hearing the word of God preached, sitting on the same, uh, in the same pew, in the same spot that I was in. That just encourages my heart. But now I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring Resurrection Baptist Church. And I'm just going to be real practical, real honest with y'all tonight. Uh, I heard a message by a, a preacher. He's a, he's a man in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I'm trying to think of his name, Brother Luke Duncan. And I heard him preach a message at a, at a preacher's fellowship. And he preached on where is the praying pastor? Where is the praying pastor? And it smote my heart because uh, it was that week that I had taken the church. And I, and I decided then... Lord, if you're going to let me pastor and you're going to let me be used for you in this service, I'm going to be a man of prayer and, and, and dedicated myself, if you will, fresh and anew to prayer. Uh, and, and so I've been trying to grow in that and to, and to study along these lines, and that's led me into a series at our church on the prayers of Paul. I've been preaching on the prayers of Paul. And uh, Brother Drew's probably tired of hearing that, but I've been preaching on the prayers of Paul. We've been doing it on Wednesday nights. We went through four prayers. Uh, we, we went through a prayer uh, for preparation, I'm trying to think where that was. That first Tim, that's First Thessalonians chapter 3, I believe. Uh, and then we went to Ephesians 1, a prayer for comprehension, where he's praying that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know all these spiritual truths about themselves. Then we went to this prayer, prayer for dedication, in chapter number 5 and verse number 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. This is the third prayer that I've studied along these lines. This is what the Lord's directed me to preach on tonight. It says in verse 23, "...and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly." And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Get a big amen right there. Amen. We love that verse. Uh, everybody loves that verse. Amen. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So the Lord put this prayer of Paul on my heart. And something that I've noticed by studying these prayers of Paul is that Paul doesn't pray uh, similar to most people that I know. I'll just say it that way. I'll say it at more pointed. Paul is not praying in the way that I normally pray. Amen? His prayers don't consist of the same things that it seems like our prayers in general, I'll use a big hour there, uh, that they consist of. His, his prayers consist of some different types of things. There, that means there are some things on Paul's heart that are not reflected in our heart. 
There are some things that Paul was concerned about and that Paul thought was relevant to pray for that you and I don't spend the time praying for as we should. And so God has really grown me through this study to ensure that my prayers are what God would have me to pray for. Amen? The Bible talks about, I believe it's over there in the book of James, where it says that you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. I don't want to ask amiss. I don't want to amiss in my praying. I want, I, want to be, I want to be on the mark. I want to be praying according to the will of God, praying in the Spirit of God. And if we're going to do that, I believe these prayers of Paul would be uh, helpful to us and would help us to grow when it comes to our praying. So I've titled this a prayer for dedication. A prayer for dedication. I'm going to give you the definition of that word dedication. It is the act of consecrating to a divine being or to a sacred use. It is solemn appropriation. It is devoting to, giving to, and this is what Webster's 1828 Dictionary says, as the dedication of Solomon's temple. That's why I love the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, by the way. It's going to give you some Bible to define these terms. And what came to Mr. Webster's mind and heart when he was defining this word dedication, he thought about the dedication of Solomon's temple. Now we know that takes place in 2 Chronicles chapter number 5 through chapter 7. We find him praying over the instruments that are going to be used. And then he, he prays and we know right there at the end of chapter 5 where the glory of God fills the house of God and the priest can't stand to minister. And all of these things, very, very prominent, very popular verses where Solomon's temple was dedicated. And essentially all he's saying is, God, this temple belongs to you. When you dedicate something... You're giving that thing away. You're saying, God, Solomon was saying, God, this temple, it belongs to you. It's your temple. What he's saying is, everything that goes on inside this temple is going to be for you. It's going to be what you want it to be. It's going to be at your direction. It's going to be in accordance with your will and with your word. God, this temple is your temple. I'm dedicating it to you. We call it Solomon's temple, and I'm fine with that, but it's God's temple. Because Solomon dedicated it to God said, God, I know they're going to call this Solomon's temple, but it's not Solomon's temple, it's your temple. So he was releasing ownership. He's saying, God, this 100%, not 99%, this 100% belongs to you. And the Bible says, and this verse came to my heart, 1 Chronicles, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 19, the Bible says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. It goes on to say that ye have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Meaning, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what we mean when we say Christ in you, the hope of glory. We mean that when you get saved, Jesus, quite literally, in the person of the Holy Spirit, takes up residence inside your heart. Adrian Rogers said it this way. He said in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God has His people for a temple. He lives in us and He resides in us. And just as Solomon's temple was right to be dedicated to God, our temple is right to be dedicated to God. This body... The bodies that we have that are in this room tonight, they've been bought with a price. He paid for them. He paid for them with His precious blood. And so because He died and was buried and rose again, our bodies belong to Him and we should dedicate them to Him. And that's what this prayer is. This is a prayer for dedication. 
The man of God is praying for God's people. It is on his heart that the people of God would not live unto themselves, would not uh, serve themselves, but they would serve the one who paid for their bodies. The one to whom their temple belongs. It belongs to God. And so this is a prayer for dedication. I want to say just a few things about this. and I'll try to move quickly and we'll be done. Let's look at verse number 23. First of all, I see in this prayer, it's a, it's a prayer for consecration. I see a consecration in this verse. Verse 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. First of all, the deed of consecration. It is to sanctify. That's what consecration is. It is to sanctify. That word sanctify, it just means to cleanse, to, to, to clean up, to, uh, to purify, to, to make holy, to separate, to set apart for the possession and the purpose of God. In our days, for some reason, separation and sanctification have become bad words in, in our churches. People don't want to hear that kind of preaching. They don't want to hear that kind of of a doctrine and truth. Don't talk to me about what I'm supposed to do with my body and my life. And what they don't realize is it's not their body and it's not their life. Jesus paid for that body. He he died for your soul and therefore it belongs to Him. And therefore He has the right to require sanctification if He wants to. Because He's God. It, It belongs to Him. And so Paul's prayer for the people of God is that they will be a sanctified people. And of all the pastors that I know, I believe your pastor would say amen to this, of all the pastors that I know, one of the main things that keeps us up at night and that makes us worry and makes us fret and causes our hair to turn uh, wide or to fall out in some people's case, amen, uh, it's the fact that God's people are not willing to sanctify themselves. They're not willing to sanctify themselves. They're not willing to separate themselves and to say, I belong uniquely and exclusively to God. And that, and essentially what he's saying is that, that ownership that God has in your life should be an, an outward expression. Other people should know that you belong to God. And listen, other people do know who you belong to. They know. It's not a secret. It, 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 the people in your home. Listen, the people in my home, my wife and my children, they know if I'm consecrated to Christ. They know. You're not fool. I might could fool you. You might could fool me. But we ain't fooling the people that go to the house with us. They know if you read your Bible. They know if you pray. They know if you cuss. They know if you listen to ungodly music. They, they know all that stuff. And so his prayer is that the people of God would start to live as if they are the people of God. That is the deed of consecration. Secondly, the, uh, and, and there's some different things about sanctification I'm not going to look through. I'm trying to, this took me about two weeks to preach through at our church. I'm trying to do it relatively quickly. Secondly, I want to talk about the doer of consecration. Who is it that will sanctify you? Look at the verse, verse 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Consecration to Christ is not something that you can do on your own. And that's why so many people fail. They'll get a full head of steam. Maybe they, 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 they felt guilty at church because the preacher said something about prayer and they thought, you know what, I don't pray like I should. I, you know, they, they might sit there and the preacher's preaching about prayer and, and your pastor, somebody's talking about prayer and you might think, you know what, I probably spent maybe 10 minutes this week in prayer. I think that's characteristic of a lot of people. 
Hopefully that. At least that. They'll say, you know what? I mean, let me think. To pray over my meal, and you could recite it because you say the same thing every time. So you could time it if you wanted to. Time how long it takes you to say the prayer you normally pray over your meals. Times that by two or three, depending on if you're dieting or whatever, how many times you eat a day. That's probably the amount to which most people pray. And they'll say, well, you know what, I feel real bad about that. I shouldn't be doing that. I need to pray more. And so they'll get a full head of steam and their own confidence and their self-will, and they'll say, I'm going to pray. And if they're a really good Christian, they might try one time. And, and, then, and then you just, they go through the motions of, of, of trying to, and you know what, and then they just get burnt out or they get bored or they get uh, whatever, and they, and they quit. You know why it's not going to last that way? Because they're trying to do it themselves. This verse is saying that he's praying, God, you, you, the very God of peace, you sanctify them wholly because they can't do it on their own. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, it says, As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Y'all know that verse, right? As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So much of our preaching is about the Christian walk, the Christian life, the way a Christian is supposed to be and to conduct themselves. That's what most of our preaching is a lot of times. But you know what? It says, as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? You received him by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Most people would say that my Christian walk should be characterized by my works, but that's not what that verse says. Your Christian walk should be characterized by faith. Amen. You didn't get saved based on your own works, right? I didn't get saved based on my own works. I got saved by grace through faith. Well, as ye receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. So if you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be the the good Christian that you think you're supposed to be, you're not going to be able to do it. The doer of consecration is God. He consecrates us. He sanctifies us. He's the one who cleans us up. You say, well, how does He do that? Jesus is praying over there in John 17, and He says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you have no relationship with the Word of God, you're going to lack in your sanctification. Amen? God will use this Bible to clean us up and to sanctify us and to make us what we're supposed to be. And if we have no relationship with the Word of God, we're not going to be able to be consecrated. God, God's not going to be able to use this Bible to consecrate you if you don't read it. Amen? So we're, we're talking about how it, what, what was on Paul's heart to pray for. Paul's heart was motivated to pray for their consecration. We see the deed of consecration and the doer of it. Thirdly, I want to talk about the degree of consecration. Just how consecrated does God want you to be? That's what a lot... And and you know what? If we put a number on it, like a percentage amount, that's where most Christians would try to be. If we say, look, you've got to have your time. It's all right to have a little R&R, right? you, You deserve that. You don't got to be this fanatical Christian who's, who's like a Christian when you're on vacation. Not, I'm, we're not talking about those kind of Christians because those people are just weird, right? That, I mean, something's wrong with those people. Uh, so we, we're not talking about being one of those kind. So, so we need to find wherever the mark is, say it's 85% or 75%, wherever that is, and be that. Let's find out where the mark is. Just how consecrated does God want you to be? Look at the last part of the verse. Or excuse me, that next part of the phrase. The very God of peace sanctify you 
holy. And now if you're just listening or you don't have your Bible in front of you, that word, it's not H-O-L-Y, which Jesus does, God does say, be holy for I am holy, right? And that's H-O-L-Y. This word is W-H-O-L-L-Y. It means entirely, completely, with, with no reservation. We should 100% belong to Him. All of us should belong to Him. Let's move on. Secondly, we talked about a consecration in this verse. Secondly, I'll talk about a conservation in this verse. Look at verse 23 again. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Then he says, And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, he's praying that their whole spirit and soul and body will be preserved. That's why I get that word, uh, that word conservation. To conserve is to preserve. It's, it's to maintain and to uphold. He's praying that not, not only that they would be sanctified, but that they would be preserved in a sanctified state. Just because you're living for God today doesn't mean that you will be tomorrow. I've seen so many people start out in this thing and a whole lot of them have not made it to the finish line in love with Jesus and growing like they're supposed to. It's because they were not preserved blameless. Now we're blameless, it doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sinlessly perfect. That word blameless, it just means without fault. It means guiltless. It literally means not meriting censure. So there's not some, some big outstanding thing in your life that people can point at. Just like a pastor is supposed to be, uh, supposed to be blameless, right? He, he, that means not that the pastor's perfect. Oh, we all know that, right? That can't be what blameless means then. So if that's a qualification for a pastor, then no pastor is sinless. So that can't be what that means. But it, it literally means there's, there's, no, there's no big outward flaw that people could look at, you, look at and point to and that be a disqualification in your ministry and in your life. So he's saying that we're supposed to be preserved in this sanctified, blameless state. Preservation, conservation. But in what way? Let's look at it again. He says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is probably the best verse in the Bible that, that illustrates and, and defines very particularly who and what we are as human beings. We are tripartite beings. I mean, we're made up in three parts, right? Jesus, uh, well, God, yes, Jesus is God. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, said, let us make man in our image, right? And we believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you and I are made in the image of God in three persons, So we are body, soul, and spirit. Our body is that which gives us world consciousness. It's our ability to relate to to physical reality. It's it's your senses, right? You can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, you can feel. These are your senses. And that's what allows you to relate and uh, and to have a place in the world around you. That's your body. We're body and we are soul. Your soul is, is, is your mind, it's your will, it's, your, it's, it's that which gives you self-consciousness. So your body is world consciousness, your, your soul is self-consciousness. It's, it's your mind and your will and your emotions, it's who you are. You've ever heard that phrase that the eyes are the window to the soul? That's right, amen? Because this body is not you, it's not the extent of you. This body is just a house that we live in, right? It, this is our temple, this is our tabernacle, it's something that we live in, but it's not us. Right? If you cut my arm off, I'm not less me. 
and there's not less of me. I'm still me. Right? So I'm living inside of this body. This body is just a vehicle that, that I use and that, and that allows me to relate to you and for you to relate to me. But your soul is who you are. That is your mind and your will and your emotions. And then we are spirit. And this spirit, it gives us God consciousness. It's the innermost self that connects to God. Your spirit is that of you which is born dead in trespasses and sins. That, that's the reason why we're born sinners and we're, we're separated from God because of our sin because you're spiritually dead and your spirit is that which gives you a relationship with God. So we're born spiritually dead. But His prayer is that they will be preserved, body, soul, and spirit, all of them. That's literally an, an exposition on the word holy of the previous phrase where He says to sanctify you holy and then He's, he's elaborating on what He means by holy, body, soul, and spirit. But I'm going to point this out to you. Lord, help me with this. We always say body, soul, and spirit. That's the way I always say it. That's the way I just defined it. That's not the order of the text. That's not the order that these words are mentioned in the verse. This verse says, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body. Isn't that just like a bunch of Baptists to get it completely backwards? Amen. We, we literally flip that thing all the way around and we say, oh, we're body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says that we're spirit, soul, and body. And you say, well, what's the, the teaching of that? What's the truth behind that? That, that means religion wants to work on you body, soul, and spirit. Jesus wants to work on you spirit, soul, and body. Meaning, He starts on the inside. He, he starts down deep. He's not, and we're not just talking about outward conformity to religious standards. We're talking about God doing the work in your heart. God touching you in your heart and causing you to do something and to be something that you've never been before. Listen, we have completely mastered the art of trying to manipulate and to cause people to conform outwardly to religious standards. Churches have been doing that for a long time. Not just Baptists. I'm, I'm talking about religion as a whole. The Catholic Church does that and the Mormon Church does that. And re- that's what religion does. Religion works on you body first. I don't care what's in your heart. I don't care what's in your mind. I just want you to look like I want you to look. That's what religion does. But that's, but that's not enough to sanctify you. And for those who've raised children, they know that's the case. It, it, to an extent, you, if you're a dad, as we're all men here, I've got three kids at home. I've got two boys that are six and a little girl that is uh, three. And, and, and at home, I can make them do what I tell them to do. They got up this morning, I passed James in the hallway. I said, James, make your bed. He did it. I said, James, be sure you brush your teeth. And he did it. So I tell him to do something, he does that thing I say. That's, that's the extent of, of, that's how that works. But you know what? Hopefully by the time he's grown and left my house, I've been able to touch his heart, I've been able to touch his spirit, not just his body. And that's what happens with a lot of these kids. They grow up in church and, they're, and, they, and they act right and they talk right and they dress right and they do all the things that the church tells them to do. But the moment they get a chance to make a decision on their own, they walk away from Christ, they walk away from the Bible. And that's what we say, but in reality, they're not walking away. They were never there. We might have had them outwardly. We might have had them conforming to religious standards. But that's not enough for sanctification. Sanctification is a work in the heart. 
If somebody wants to listen to ungodly music, their problem is not ungodly music, it's their heart that wants that over Jesus. But what do we do? We focus on the outward. We, we, we focus, and, and, and again, we're, we're getting at the heart of Paul's praying. The heart of Paul's praying is that God would do a work in people's hearts, not just in their bodies. He's praying that God would do something on the inside. And listen, what you and I need in our day is for God to do something on the inside of us. That's what we need. I remember for years, I, I, well, I won't say a couple years, I was going to Resurrection Baptist Church and I'd hear preaching on this all the time and God was convicting me about my mouth. I had a filthy mouth. I mean, just every other word, just cussing all the time, listening to ungodly music, all that kind of stuff. I was hooked on that. And I remember going to an altar and saying, well, Lord, you know, I probably shouldn't be talking like that. And, and I, you know what, I, I'm going to try and do better. I'm going to try and do better. That did not work. <laughs> that did not work. And, and, and I would do that over and over and over and over again until one day the man of God got up with the Bible and he said to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. He said, does your speech minister grace or not? And you know what? It was more than just some outward repentance. It was, it was God touching my heart. And God did something on the inside of me that night that was, that was effectual and that was real and that worked. Amen. Something that worked. And it's because God did it, not me. Again, we're driving at the heart of Paul's praying. Paul is praying concerning their heart. And so he says that they're, they would be preserved spirit, soul, and body. And they'd be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, meaning until Jesus comes back, until we see Him, we should be maintained and preserved in this sanctified state. Let's move on. I'm skimming through all these notes. Let's look to verse 24. So that is, so we look first of all uh, at a consecration, secondly at a conservation, thirdly I want to talk about a consideration in verse number 24. We'll be done. Verse number 24, it says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Somebody say amen right there. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Paul ends this prayer by noting who he has called uh, his people to who has called his people to sanctification and who it is that will preserve them in that state. So, so he's acknowledging again who the doer of consecration is. The fact that this is a work of God and this is what God must do. Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. That word faithful, it means firmly adhering to duty. That means you're, you're not going to catch him and sleep on the job. right? He, he's not going to be MIA. He, he's going to be exactly what he says he's going to be. He's going to be true and he's going to be dependable and he's going to be right. And he's going to be right there to help to preserve you sanctified. He's faithful. Amen. He's called us to do that which is beyond our power, which is to live above the world and to withstand temptation and the trials and the tragedies of our life. But, but He's called us to do something that, yes, is above our strength, but it's not above His strength. He can do it. Y'all ever heard people say, well, God will never put on you more than you can handle. That's not true. Amen? And if you've lived the Christian life more than five minutes, you know that's not true. Yes, He'll put more on you than you can handle, but He'll not put more on you than He can handle. 
And faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That means that anything that we go through, any trial, any temptation in our life, he's there and he is able to supply and to see us through that temptation. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. It says, There have no temptation taken you but, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with, will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. What he's saying is, when you're tempted to sin, God is promising you, I'm going to be there and I'm going to give you the exit sign. I'm going to give you the, the off-ramp. I'm going to give you the opportunity and the privilege to, to avoid the temptation. But apart from His faithfulness, you and I would fall every time. Every time. And that's why the heart of this prayer, and I've titled that this prayer a prayer for dedication, because he is praying that God's people would dedicate themselves fully to God and allow God to work in their life and to, and to consecrate them and to make them what they cannot be on their own. Listen, I need God to do a lot for me. I, uh, there's, there, I, I work in progress. I'm, I, I'm not even close to where I need to be. I'm not even close to where I want to be. I'm trying to grow in that direction. But faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He'll do it. I can have confidence that I'm going to get there, not because I'm confident in myself, but because I'm confident in the Scriptures and I'm confident in Him. And He's never let me down. Has He ever let you down? Has he ever come up short? Has he, has he ever said he was going to do something that he didn't do? If not, then you and I should dedicate ourselves to Christ afresh and anew tonight and ask God to work in our lives and to sanctify us and to do a work not body, soul, and spirit, but spirit, soul, and body. God, do a work on the inside of me. Make me a man of prayer. Make me a, a sanctified Christian. God, help me to be exactly what you want me to be during these last days. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that it's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. It's more powerful than anything I could say to expound upon it. I pray, God, that your word would uh, do an eternal work in our hearts tonight. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, in regard to our sanctification, in regard to our dedication. Lord, so many people are dedicated to so many different things, and Lord, yet we fail to dedicate ourselves to you. I ask God for you to forgive us. Lord, I pray that we would repent, get right with you, and Lord, live this Christian life that you've called us to, not by our own strength and by our own power, but Lord, by the one who's faithful. Lord, the one who's called us to this uh, experience, to this Christian life. Lord, we know that you're going to do it. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Pastor.